Greetings, Dead for Filth listeners. Before we get started, I just wanted to tell you about an opportunity for you to do something ooky and spooky here in the greater Los Angeles area. There is a horror convention happening at the Burbank Marriott on September 15th through the 17th called Son of Monster Palooza, and we are lucky enough to have some tickets to give away to you. If you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and use the hashtag Reverie and the hashtag Dead for Tickets, you will automatically be entered in the drawing to win a pair. Winners will be notified on Monday, September 11th, so keep your eyes peeled and maybe you get to do something scary soon. Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer, horror, and beyond. I am really excited today to have a very dear friend of mine, Lottie Ferris Knowles, in the studio. Hi, Yay. Lottie. Hi, Michael. My birthday, buddy. Happy birthday again. Oh, happy birthday to you, too. Lottie's birthday is the day before mine, and we have a long history of celebrating together in my time here in L.A. Uh, but, you know, outside of birthdays, I do need to properly introduce you. Uh, <laughs> Lottie is an amazing producer and screenwriter and force of nature in the industry. She wrote the super fun Chastity Bites, the only horror film that urges you to have sex to survive. Uh, she's been the producer behind several amazing documentaries. She has done some cool shorts. There's, We're going to be talking about a lot of things today, and I'm she's down. got some like awesome news to share with us here on the air, so let's just get into it. Welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you to all, all you people out there in the dark. Wow, Norma. <laughs> uh, so I like to start every show with the f- same first question for each guest, okay. and that question is, why horror? And you can interpret that in any way that you like. Like, What's your draw to the genre? What connects you to it? Like, What brought you here? Sure. Um, you know, I first have to give ups to my dad. He got me into it, although somehow I showed a proclivity for spooky stuff really early on. I never wanted to be a princess unless it was like a zombie princess or something, (laughs) you know, for Halloween. Like I always wanted to be something scary. Um, in nursery school, my mom tells the story of how she was called in to watch from behind that like one way glass because for like the entire year I was pretending to be a witch. Wait, did you go to school like in a Law and Order episode? Why was there like a one way glass? I don't <laughs> because, because it was it was this called Big Nursery School. I think it still exists. It's at Stanford University, and you know they're kind of studying the children and you know the, what's going on with us, and you know so it was sort of I think like a quasi academic setting, and so the parents could also come and watch from behind the glass and. My mom says one of the teachers said, well, we're just, you know, I I don't know that we're concerned, but it's just something to note that Lottie has been pretending to be a witch now for the entire year. And we're just, you know, wondering if you have any thoughts about this. And so there was just something about spooky stuff. And I don't know if it's a genetic thing or what it is that brings certain people to it, but I always liked stories about witches and ghosts and, you know, ghost stories. And my dad um, liked horror, too. And so he started me off when I was really young, kind of with the easy stuff, like some of the cheesy 50s black and white movies or the classic Universal movies. Then we kind of worked our way up to Hammer by the time I was like seven or eight. And it's funny because those movies seem pretty 
you know, tame scary wise now, but back then it, they blew my mind. And then there was an eroticism to hammer that didn't exist before. Oh yeah. You and I both share a, uh, a fondness for hammer films. And I know that we've (laughs) talked about, and I haven't yet really had a chance to talk about it on the podcast, but what is it about those movies? God, They're just so beautiful. They're lush. The colors are gorgeous. And, you know, there's something very kind of arch and, you know, gothic, like it's, it's all done with quite that sort of British, you know, sensibility of, of formality and decorum. And yet the, the, that, um, eroticism you talked about, it's kind of great because the British are so buttoned up, especially Mm -hmm. back then. And to have those moments when the eroticism breaks through in a horror context, it's just, it's hot. I mean, you know, and speaking of queer horror, one of my favorite movies, horror otherwise, is The Vampire Lovers. I love lesbian vampire movies. That's like one of my favorite subgenres. Which we will get into. Oh, we will. Uh, but no, The Vampire Lovers is an adaptation of La Fanu's Carmilla. Yes. And one of many. Yeah, but maybe one of the best because oh, you've I think got so. Ingrid Pitt <gasps> working her way through all of the, the maidens of the village. Oh my God. And I love her. In an era, really, where we weren't seeing much homo anything. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear what she was up to. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you watch these movies with your dad. <laughs> <laughs> Which he never see, you know, it's funny because I remember, you know, when I watched Fame with my parents, you know, and that whole scene where it's like, like, you know, like, take your thumb and stick it in your mouth. You know, we're like, Irene Cara's got her top off. Like, I had to leave the room for that. But somehow in Hammer, I'm sorry, that was such a weird digression, but hopefully some of you <laughs> have a clue what I'm talking about with that Fame movie. But but somehow, like, I don't know, my dad didn't seem freaked out by that part of it. It was and also I was only really focused, at least consciously, on the horror elements at that right. point. Maybe something of the sensuality wormed its way inside my soul. But <laughs> I really at the time that like was what I the parenting tact of Irene Kara's tits, no. <laughs> Ingrid Pitt's tits. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't I don't quite know how that all shook out, but you know. So from what point do you go from watching these 50s uh horror movies and and hammer movies with your dad and becoming invested in the genre and pretending you're a witch in school <laughs> to realizing this is more than just a passion and something that you want to do with your life? Well, let's see. So I saw the first time I graduated to quote unquote hardcore horror was when they first showed John Carpenter's Halloween on television. And it scared me so profoundly that I should have never wanted to watch horror ever again. But instead, despite the constant nightmares, I wanted to watch that movie over and over and over. And at this point, it was kind of preteen years and then teen years By the time I was a teenager, it was just a steady diet of whatever I can get my hands on. And the gorier, the better, the scarier, the better. Um, And then I started, you know, declaring to anyone who would listen that I was going to be a horror filmmaker. Right. That was my chosen profession. Now, hilariously, I digressed a couple of times away from that in my young adult life 
and thought maybe that was not going to be the case. But luckily, <laughs> luckily, I did come back around to it. But like in high school, my senior year of high school, I wrote this horror screenplay called Groundhog Day, which was just an absolute ripoff of Halloween and all of those other holiday themed, you know, slasher movies. And I'm honestly surprised no one actually did Groundhog Day. I know. Day. Yeah. Well, there's that that joke in um, the Monster Squad. I have that T-shirt. Oh, yeah. It's like Groundhog Day Part 12 or whatever. And I, I love that because, again, that was something that was, you know, I was trying to do with my RCA camcorder in the 80s. And I shot a couple scenes from it that are up on YouTube, but there was that we didn't get very far. But that was kind of the first time I was like, yes, I'm going to I'm going to really do this, you know. But then you took sort of this interesting route from making these movies on your RCA camcorder <laughs> to uh, kind of diving into the world of theater. Yes. And did your work in theater began when you went to Chicago or tell me, tell me about that because you've done some significant works in theater and I'd like to dig into that as well. I don't know about significant, but thank you. I, well, you know, cause that was the other thing is I was, you know, pretending to be a witch, let's face it also has a highly, a high camp theatricality <laughs> to it. And I was bitten by that theatrical acting bug very early on. Like, I think second grade in Catholic school, I was given, you know, like this little diva Mm -hmm. part in the school play. And I just that was, you know, the next bug to bite me. I love doing theater as an actor all the way through high school. But um, even when I got to college, I started realizing that acting was only fun for me if it was pure fun. Right. If it was kind of like, let's put on a show. And that's how I approach it even now is I pretty much only act if somebody I love, like present company included, is like, hey, you want to be in this short film or this thing? And I'm like, yeah. But by college, I realized, and this is at Northwestern in Chicago, that it wasn't something I was good enough at or passionate about to really fight for. And I was more interested in like the writing, producing, maybe even directing. And so I started focusing my energy there and I was in the theater or as, as, as we called it, the performance studies major, the theater department called it the re- the, the department of reading out loud because <laughs> we were like the only more ridiculous department than theater. But so I got into, you know, adaptation of literature for performance. And you know, I was producing a feminist theater festival in college, which is so, you know, indicative of kind of where I'm at now in some ways, too. But right. Um, so yeah, so theater had just kind of felt like the natural place for me to go. And when I, I came out to LA the first time right after college and it was really difficult. I was really young. I was really naive. My dad got cancer and died. And of course I was really close to him and I was working at CAA as an assistant, which is creative artist agency, one of the big agencies and God bless them, but it's not necessarily a nurturing environment if you're 23 and your dad's dying of cancer. Right. So my first experience in LA was a little traumatic, but I, so I went back to Chicago for eight years and I just fully immersed myself in theater there and never thought I'd come back out. Then I met my husband, John, he wanted to do it and I was kind of ready to give it another go. And I'm so glad because 
I love Chicago. I love theater. We can keep talking about that if you want. But I think that, you know, I'm doing what my heart really desires now. Well, and I I think that there is a through line to the work that you do on film now. But I I want to kind of put a pin in the theater discussion in the way that you mentioned that you did some feminist work. Mm -hmm. Later on, you went and did the play about Katrina, the Mm -hmm. hurricane. Uh, And one of the things I like to talk about with guests on the show is a measure of responsibility when you're creating art. And I know that you tend to include social messages. And, you know, on a podcast where we discuss, you know, queer representation and uh, minority representation and women in film, do you feel as a creator working on things that you bear a responsibility to include that kind of content? Oh, my God, absolutely. I mean, part of it is a responsibility and part of it is just my own interest as well, because I, you know, I'm kind of flabbergasted by, you know, these people who are like, oh, let's make America white and straight and, you know, whatever again, because and and maybe this is, I don't know, a genetic thing or an upbringing but I feel like viva la difference for real, you know, like it's so much more enriching to me as a human being to know people who come from different places than mm-hmm. I do, have different stories, different food, you know, whatever. Um, and I, I just I can't imagine wanting to live in a world where everybody looked like me had, you know, similar backstory to me and we're telling the same stories as me. Like, that's not how we learn about the world. It's, you know, it's not how, you know, I I don't know. I'm just more entertained by a wide variety of stories. And you talked about how pivotal Halloween was when you saw it. (laughs) I'm wondering because of this interest in the social construct of film Mm -hmm. as as a tool, do you recall the moment that you saw a piece of art or film that you realized, oh, I can use this for more than just Mm. entertainment? Yeah, I'm sure that I did. You know, I don't think like, for example, let's just talk about Halloween. I think that there's something about that movie and a lot of the horror movies that followed that for me was more about how to deal with anxieties in life, especially when I was a teenager. Right. You know, the, the processing these female characters who are survivors through horror movies made a lot of stuff in, you know, let's say junior high and high school, a lot more bearable. Right. And I think that's true for a lot of horror fans right. when we were young. Um, I'm trying, I feel like the first time it, well, there were a couple things in high school theater excuse me, we had this director who was very much a social activist as well. And he always wanted to include messages in the shows we were doing. So shout out to Michael Cass, wherever you are. Um, And I think that had some bearing on me. I think my parents talking to me uh, very critically about entertainment that I was ingesting, whether it was TV, film, plays, they took me to a lot of plays. Mm -hmm. 
But also then when I went to um, theater summer camp at Northwestern and I was seeing a lot of the really amazing theater in Chicago at the time, like Steppenwolf, that's, you know, John Malkovich, Joan Allen, Gary Sinise, those people, you know, Laurie Metcalf coming out of there. They were doing a lot of stuff with meaning and other theater companies were doing stuff with a message. And it resonated with me because I've always kind of been a little activist as well. You know, I, I like to stir shit up a little. (laughs) Well, and you mentioned in that discussion uh, the mechanism of horror kind of being allegorical to the high school experience. And I think that kind of leads us right into your feature, Chastity Bites, Mm -hmm. because this is a movie that sort of flies in the face of what the normal rules of the horror (laughs) movie are, because, you know, as established... Classically by Wes Craven and Scream, uh, if you have sex in a horror movie, you die. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you kind of took a stand and said, no, you have to have sex to live. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the creation of Chastity Bites and uh, that process. Sure. Um, So that was, yeah, that was a 10 year journey to get Chastity Bites made. And hey, I have talked to people who've had even longer journeys to get their passion projects made. But I I just want to tell people you know, don't get discouraged because persistence and some level of OCD is what, you know, ultimately pushes these passion projects to fruition. But going to what you were saying, when I first had the idea for it, it was 2004 and it was right in the middle of the George W. Bush administration, which I don't know. Okay. And I'm, I know I'm speaking to my fellow progressives here. So, you know, sorry, conservatives, but, um, you know, I, I think a lot of us now in the Trump era have forgotten how miserable it was as well during the, you know, that Bush era. Yes. And, you know, there was a lot of highly conservative, um, Christian evangelical stuff being pushed to the forefront that, you know, him being an evangelical kind of legitimized. And one of the big things happening was that abstinence only education movement, which is so proven to not work. You know, Lubbock, Texas, which is one of like the main strongholds of abstinence education, at least it was, you know, they had some of the highest teen pregnancy and STD rates ever You know, I mean, I can say my parents taught me the facts of life when I was about five years old and it took me a long time to lose my virginity. So clearly, you know, it wasn't like I was like, oh, this is what's happening. I'm going to run out and do this. (laughs) So, you know, so again, some of it was definitely very political, but also I had always loved the legend of Elizabeth Bathory because even though, she, yeah, she was horrible. She was evil. But, you know, it was a long time ago. And so in a way, <laughs> you're kind of like, OK, well, she is kind of this badass, crazy female serial killer from real life. Right. And speaking of Ingrid Pitt and Hammer, they had done Countess Dracula, which is a, a Bathory inspired film. There were others I'd seen and loved, like Daughters of Darkness. Um, there's that one segment with Paloma Picasso in Mora- Immorality Tales, I think it's called. Um, and there's a lot of other movies that have kind of borrowed from it right. gently. So I had wanted to make my own Elizabeth Bathory movie and um, it just coalesced in my brain like, oh, my God, this is the deal. She's still alive from virgin blood. Europe is not where it's at anymore. It's America. It's red state America where these abstinence only programs are getting set up. 
you know, let's take her there and start a program and start calling virgin blood from that. And I was kind of off to the races. So you write the film. It's directed by your husband, John. Right. And uh, you kind of went like on a whirlwind tour of the world with it. Yeah, we did. It was really fun. You know, that was was one of the most fun parts was, let's say, the six months that we were on the festival circuit Mm -hmm. because, you you know, we did, you know, we did decide we would spend our personal funds to travel with it as much as possible. We couldn't go everywhere. Like, I wish we could have gone to Puerto Rico and a few other places. But um, we went a lot of the places in the United States and um, one in Sweden that Lund, the fantastic film festival there that was amazing. But also, uh, I know we'll get to documentaries later, but I Am Divine, the doc I produced, came out the same year. And so Chassis Bites and I Am Divine were both playing quite a few LGBT film festivals. So I would go represent for both of those right. there, like Damn These Heels in Salt Lake, North Carolina Gay and Lesbian, uh, Philly Q-Fest, May It Rest in Peace. Um, because there is a, a lesbian element to oh, Jesse yeah. Bites. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, because yeah. you love a good lesbian vampire. Even though <laughs> I do. Elizabeth Bathory is not a vampire, she's in the neighborhood. She's in that neighborhood. There's blood yeah. to be had, even if she bathes in it instead of um, drinking it. But yes. I mean, in these trying times... <laughs> One must do what one must do. It's true. When you live in L.A., a beauty regiment <laughs> is truly. Well, it's so funny. People have keep kept sending me this link the last few years. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this, Michael, about the vampire facial where they take? I know it's not. No, it's no joke. Google this. It's this procedure. I don't want to Google the word facial without knowing what's happening. <laughs> Maybe don't do the image search okay, first. Yeah. Just do the web search. But there is actually a thing called the vampire facial. And I don't I think that it's actually taking your own blood out. And then they put it in some high spinny thing that distills it down to like its best elements. And then they plug it back into you somehow. Maybe it's baby's blood. I'm not sure where they're getting this, but um, but it, <laughs> okay, I don't know. But I'm telling you it exists. And people keep sending me the link. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? And I'm like, yes. So it's not that far fetched. And let's face it, there's a you know, that was another commentary I wanted to make about, you know, the, the bitches who will do anything to hang on to youth just uh, a little bit longer. Well, you know, who's to blame them? Uh, yeah. Was Baby's Blood, this is just me going off on a tangent, was <laughs> no. Baby's Blood utilized at the beginning of The Witch? Like, didn't, did you see The Witch? She oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, I remember some ladies started crying when I sat in the theater. Those are my favorite <laughs> experience. If I go to a horror movie and someone loses their mind, that's like something I will always remember. Uh, oh, my God, yes. Well, actually, some of the best experiences I've had were the, a short film I produced uh, for my friend filmmaker Dan Faults uh, years ago that was called Weak Species. It was his USC thesis. And people fainted at five festivals from this one scene, this one, you know, very upsetting scene. And I was like, why are we getting more PR from this? This is dynamite. Like, you know, at at the uh, at Outfest, there was an ambulance called and it's like, you know, they were fine, but it was. I, and I, th- I don't think that people realize the sheer... Uh 
magnitude of like an audience member behaving poorly in that kind of film. Like yeah. if you were seeing like a Merchant Ivory film, you'd be like, <laughs> shut the fuck up or whatever. But I remember uh, we sorry. were we were at a screening uh, one time and some guy lost his mind. He was like, I can't stay for this. If you want to stay and watch this filth, I but, but I'm leaving. And like then the person leaves and I'm like, I want that guy in every movie. Yeah. Like, I, I want him to be here with us. Um, yeah, we. it's like a plant. Like it's like William Castle style theatrics to, you know, like hire people to be at theaters. Like I'm outraged, you know. I wish I was more outraged. I actually thought about hiring picketers for chastity bites, like, you know, like to get like, you know, mothers against teen sex. Like make up some Christ group. had librarians protest in the UK. She, <sighs> she hired uh, actors to play librarians. And uh, because Natasha Leone's character is supposed to be a librarian right. and all about evil. God, and she's God, the, and they, they were saying that it uh, cast librarians in a poor light. Um, <laughs> but what a, this William Castle. That's a great gimmick. I love, see, I love theatrics too. Again, that theater background. I love, you know, William Castle. God bless my friend and cohort, Jeffrey Schwartz, for his original documentary about him. Everybody needs to see that. Spine Tingler. You know, but why not, like, make it an experience for people? Absolutely. And you mentioned Jeffrey Schwartz, and mm-hmm. you had uh, brought up I Am Divine, and that's a great transition. Okay. Uh, you have worked as a producer, a co-producer, on a number of documentaries about queer individuals mm-hmm. with filmmaker Jeffrey Schwartz. Mm-hmm. You worked on I Am Divine, which is, of course, about the most beautiful woman in the world, yes. Divine. And uh, the film Vito, which was about uh, activist Vito Russo. Tell me a bit about your experience working on those documentaries. Sure. Well, I always loved documentaries, um, but I never had really pictured myself going into them. But in 2009, uh, Jeffrey and I, at that point, I think we'd been friends for about five years and, you know, just socially. And we had been big supporters of each other's work. I'd gone to see Spine Tingler and his second documentary, Wrangler, when they were screened, he came to my show. about a porn star. Oh my God, Wrangler's amazing too. That's great, I love it. Um, I, lo- I mean, I've, I've, of course, I'm a big fan of Jeffrey's as well as, you know, a, a co-worker. I think he does incredible work and I'm so glad I hitched my star to his wagon. <laughs> I feel like that was a great decision, but... Um, He's how we met. Oh, yeah, I know. He's connected me with a lot of cool people. So, so yay, Jeffrey. Thank you. We love you, Jeffrey Schwartz. We love you, Jeffrey Schwartz. Anywho, um, so, yes, so we had just been big, like, supporters of each other's work. And so he just called me in for a meeting, and he said, this is what I'm doing next. He said, you know, I know you produce quite a few things. You know how to get stuff done. Do you want to come get stuff done for me and help me raise money and do social media and that kind of thing? And social media was kind of just starting, you know, in the late 2000s, especially for people who hadn't, you know, weren't college students on Facebook in the early, (laughs) the Facebook in the early years. Uh, and, And when I saw some footage of Vito Russo that he showed me, I just fell in love. Like I saw this man and I felt like, God, I wish I'd been friends with him. I wish I'd known him. Why don't more people know about him? You know, he's on that level of Harvey Milk and Martin Luther King and, you know, a lot of the the great activists. Um, And so um, uh, there was just it was a no brainer for me to get involved with that. And then I just was kind of hooked into the Jeffrey Shores train and we just have kept rolling in various capacities. I'm not always 
you know, a producer on his work, but I always end up doing something. Right. You just worked on his newest, The Fabulous Alan Carr. Yes. That yeah. one, I'm an associate producer because I mainly wrangled talent for the interviews. I'm doing the social media for that. A few other things of uh, travel, you know, I'm, I, I'll do whatever, you know, I like to work. I like to make a buck and I like to work. So, <laughs> well, and you are a multi hyphenate, you're a screenwriter, you do theater, you're a producer, and you did mention your acting. I want to talk a little bit about some of your acting oh, roles. God. Um, <laughs> We, we, we can discuss any of the roles that you want to discuss, oh but I specifically have two I want to bring up. Because um, this can't, I mean, there's nothing highfalutin that can come of this, so, <laughs> but please, please. Tell me about doing voice work for Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> um, I need a shot of matcha for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in Chicago, the one acting, you know, kind of, I guess more real acting career I pursued was in voiceover. I like voiceover because you can be anyone. You don't have to just be, you know, with on camera, they look at you and you're like, oh, you're this, you're this age. You look like this. Here's your body type. So you're in a, you know, whatever box. Yes. Voices sometimes tend to get cast with certain things, but there's a lot more leeway and more creativity. And I kind of, I, I kind of gravitated towards that. So in Chicago, I was pursuing that pretty seriously for a while. And, um, one of the gigs was like this porn video game. I mean, I'd never heard of it. Of course, John had heard of it because I think all little straight boys who were of a certain age. I was not a little straight boy, but I remember that game coming out because it was sort of pre, uh, internet and it was naughty. Oh yeah. Cause his whole thing is he like, is a player, right? And he hooks up yeah, with the ladies. It's a side-scrolling so. adventure kind of. Yeah, I mean, and this was kind of a reboot of the series. It was him at college, and I can't remember. I played a couple different characters, but the one that usually comes up is Sally Mae Beauregard, the southern, you know, titty bouncer. I don't know what else to call her. She's just like, sure. <laughs> she just, you know, she's boobs and a smile and a cowboy hat, and yeah, the day that I went into the studio and they're like, okay, so, and here's the script and it's like orgasm sounds, you know, whatever. I was like, oh my God, my mom, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for paying for, you know, university education, mom. But anyway, you know, again, I like to work and make a buck. So it was, you I, do what I'm we do. We put our parents through a lot. We do. They either have to be like into it or just be like, I know yeah. God bless my mom. She's so supportive. I think there have been times where she, you know, because nobody in my family was in the arts. Right. My dad was a scientist. My mom was a teacher or, you know, worked in PR and that kind of thing. Um, but more for corporate kind of stuff. Right. Uh, my grandparents, you know, my, I don't know. I mean, it's funny that my grand, one of my grandmas was like this flapper and she was kind of theatrical, but she, you know, she and my grandpa ran a grocery right. store in St. Louis, you know, there. So uh, I think that it was always a somewhat of an adjustment for my parents to understand why, you know, theater came first instead of say academics. Sure. And, you know, it was a little bit of a struggle, but I have to say, and my mom is not a horror fan. She is terrified, does not like it, but she has watched my movie multiple times. <laughs> She's watched Chastity Bites, supported it, you know, gave, you know, invested in it. She's the bomb. So love you, mom. Thank you for your support. Aww. 
Uh, and the other role I wanted to ask about, because this is a queer horror podcast, of mm-hmm. course, uh, and we support all queer cinema. Mm-hmm. I would like to know about your role in Eating Out 2. Oh, my God. That was so fun. Philip Bartell, baby. Thank you. Yeah, that I love Eating Out 2, I have to say. It's, and it's my favorite of the series and not just because I'm in it. But I love the whole social commentary conceit of coming in the organization to, that's like an exodus, you know, that's trying to ungay people at this right. college campus. And I just that was I was just like a background conservative person who was part of this, you know, national coming in organization. Right. And I can I mean, I've been swearing and saying some filthy stuff. So I assume. Yeah. So, you know, my whole role is to, you know, look kind of upstanding and shocked. And I decided that I would play it with the undertone of that I was actually a repressed lesbian and deeply in love with Sarah Lilly's character, who is like the head of. You know, and so I'm just like hanging on her every word, like, you know, channeling that, you know, (laughs) repression. But my whole thing was then the porta potty gets wheeled in. The head of its son is in there having sex with this guy. The door opens, they come and I throw up. So anyway, it's a it's a living. It's you know, sure. this is the, the things that make up a career. And Philip Bartel, who directed Eating Out, who ended yes. up being the editor of Chastity Bites. Yes. And I am divine. I've worked with him a few times. And again, friends with him for a long time um met him and jeffrey around the same time so yeah love well, me some philly bartell since i railroaded you with two roles that maybe you weren't planning to talk about i'll give you the opportunity because it's a rule of threes right. comedy and podcasting Please tell me it's gonna be showgirls too Please. well i was gonna say you tell me what <laughs> role of yours you would like to talk about okay you know and this is ridiculous to talk about my acting career because i just like it's the, fun I, yeah. it, it, I, hey listen i it is fun but you know but these it's, it's everything i do is ridiculous as an actor except for the you know some of the voiceover and again thanks to our friend brian nolan for bringing me back into voiceover recently which we've both done some together on it's some of true. some of the um the christmas and other tv movies but L- lottie and i have been in many recording booths together we have providing we have. voices for shocked bystanders and santa clauses <laughs> and christmas party guests galore yep. <laughs> we say merry christmas one more time my like my rate for party. saying Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Oh. Yeah, my rate's gonna go up for Merry See you Christmas. Next year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I really I really have very little else to say about my acting career except that my my favorite role is that I was in Showgirls Two, Pennies from Heaven. Just because I am an ext- as I was telling Drew earlier, I am an extreme and scary showgirls fan of the greatest magnitude. It is. And and I'll kind of on the DL, Jeffrey and I may be working on something to do with that, but we'll, I'll say no more. Well, I mean, you are one of the biggest Showgirls fans I know. <laughs> if I may say, mm-hmm. you did have a Showgirls-themed wedding. I did, in Vegas. That's right. Because John and I, our first conversation when we got up the nerve to talk to each other was pretty much leading, somehow it, it led within five sentences to quoting Showgirls lines to each other. Match made in in goddess heaven. Yeah. Do you like brown rice and vegetables? <laughs> <laughs> it tastes a little like doggy chow to me, but <laughs> I'd rather have burger fries and a shake. Anyway, that could go on for a long time. So let's. Uh, so outside of the world of screenwriting, producing, acting, and these things, you also 
put together an event called Vampire Con, mm-hmm. which I also think goes back to your love of vampires and or lesbians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so tell me a little bit about the Vampire Con event. Sure. So that was a fun thing. I kind of I got pulled into by a very good friend of mine, Wendy Mirabella, a.k.a. Vampirella Mirabella. Uh, I've known Wendy for a long time since we were interns together in L.A. in like 19, the early 90s. And we super bonded over our love of horror, always have. And this was, you know, so this was 09, I guess, or 08 when we started working on it. And it was right at kind of the twilight, you know, mass hysteria, you know, phenomenon. I'm sparkling right now. I know you are, but you have to bite people and have sex because that's how vampires work. Sorry, they're not abstinent. Fuck that shit. Anyway, um, so Wendy came to me with this idea of doing that. And I it just sounded like fun something different, a way to really connect with the horror community locally. Because at that point, I was trying to get Chastity Bites made. I was going to horror events, but I hadn't quite, I had only been here a few years and I hadn't quite made inroads into like really making contacts in the horror community. Right. So it was a fabulous experience for that because really by and large, of course there's exceptions to the rule, but by and large, the horror community not just in LA, but everywhere is just some of the greatest people I've ever met. I think because we're all working out our demons through those movies. And so most of the people I meet, but that I also in another project that we don't have to get into have met people in the fetish community. And I have to say the same about them. It's like, I think people who are out there working out their stuff, you know, there's less, shadow, uh, you know, and bad stuff to kind of repress and fester. So anyway, love my horror peeps. So yeah, so Wendy said, let's do a film festival and a convention. And so we started it. I think it was, I think it was always two nights at the New Bev. I can't remember if it was three. This is uh, the New Beverly Cinema. And, you know, we did some themes like we did do of lesbian vampire night. We had mm-hmm. the Velvet Vampire and Celeste Yarnell was there and The Hunger was the second feature. And then we did this crazy like all day convention and then a ball at night. It was at the Henry Fonda. It was like we started way too big. But you know what? It was super fun. We couldn't keep doing the convention, but we did keep the classic vampire film festival going at the New Beverly for four years. And that was great fun. And we'd have give giveaways. We had a, a guy propose to his girlfriend on stage at the last one, you know, and it was just. And then she staked him. Yeah, <laughs> she ate, I hope so. <laughs> or ate his head. I guess that's more like cicada, but whatever, you know. Right. So. All of these amazing things, feature films you've written, produced, things you've acted in, theater you've produced, you've done this massive event. Uh, and there's no stopping you, really. You seem to have yeah. a lot of stuff going on. And as of this recording, I also hear that there's some big news that just dropped about a new TV project you're working on. Tell me about that. It did. And it's so funny. I had no idea I was going to be able to say it out loud to you because uh, this, you know, I walked out of my chiropractor's office yesterday to see that this had gone live on deadline, which is one of the trades. So it's a new female driven, like all female written and directed horror anthology series that the CW uh, picked up a few months ago. And we've been working slowly but surely on the pilot episode. I'm not, not sure when we're shooting it, 
So it's going to be, you know, 2018 before this uh, is on the air. But uh, I'm so excited about it. It it was started by uh, another wonderful queer horror guy, Anthony Massey, um, a really good friend of mine. And, you know, always a big supporter of each other's work. Same thing, you know, how it started with me and Jeffrey, for example. Right. And three years ago, and I got to really thank him because I was a little bit at a low point because Chastity Bites, you know, it took 10 years and it's so hard to get your movie out there. And I, I now I have a great relationship to it and I'm so proud of it. But there was a dark night of the soul when I saw how much money we were going to get on our deals for it. And there was no way we were going to make our money back. There was no way we were going to pay our investors back. Right. And it was tough. You know, I really I thought about, you know, what have I been doing all these years? Should I get out of the industry? And a couple things happened that pulled me back in and kept me going, which is so much I think of this business is just that, you know, tenacity and finding ways to renew your hope. And Anthony said to me, God, I've been wanting to do this female-driven horror anthology. He'd been working on it for a little while. Do you want to come help me with this? And so, you know, for two years, it was us just kind of put, put, putting, you know, trying to get it done this way or that way. And then uh, 2016, we started building this great team of people. First, Nick Phillips, um, who's produced several horror movies, and he used to be at Dimension, he came on. He brought some fabulous people on, um, Jamie and Kevin from Alpine Labs, who they're uh, they're all producers with Nick on this show called Fight of uh, Fight of the Living Dead. I think it's. I hope I said that right. It's on YouTube Red. Watch it. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. And um, and then they brought uh, this fabulous woman Ember from from Drew Barrymore's company Flower Films on. And then we brought this fantastic showrunner, Jill Blotvogel, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, who was the showrunner on season one of MTV's Scream. So we spent the year building our team and shaping, you know, what does this series really look like? So we started pitching it. Uh, we were so excited that it was, you know, genre, but also this mission statement that's on everybody's lips in the industry right now, which is the lack of women creators. Right. A lot of people are starting to address it. Ava DuVernay and others are pushing this mandate. But, you know, we really wanted to come in strong with the horror concept of it. And so God bless the CW. They totally got it. So far, you know, they've been amazing to work with. I can't, I'm, I'm over the moon. I can't believe, I've always worked at the indie level right. where I'm doing everything. <laughs> Not everything. I mean, you know, of course I have right, yeah. help. It's a collaborative effort, but you know, it's, I've never been at this level before and it's a fascinating experience. Whatever happens, I'm learning a ton. And the name of the project is? The Black Rose Anthology. I'm so excited. It's so exciting. And congratulations. Thank I think you. that's really cool. And, you know, when you look at the trajectory of your career and the conversation that we just had, you said that, you know, back in the day you were making feminist theater and now you <laughs> finally get to make feminist TV. Yeah. I'm big on girl power. I'm big I on LGBT. It. You know, I'm big. Because one other, other thing I'll say, you know, on this show is we're not just big on the female driven, but we're also big on integrating other diversity. Right. You know, having gay women's stories, having women of color stories, or just having people cast, you know, in roles that aren't specifically written for right. this, you know, ethnicity or whatever. And so we really want to bring diversity in in many ways. 
Excellent. Now that's such a huge project and that's going to take some time to, to come out and and we'll be on the lookout for it. Uh, so I almost hate to ask, you know, is there anything else you're working on that? Um, are you kidding? I'm working on something with you, dog. (laughs) (laughs) On the other end of the spectrum, which I, you know, can I say, I still like working on the other end of the spectrum of like micro budget down and dirty. Um, I'm not going to say the name of it because I feel like when we the the, the the title is so great, yay, Michael Verratti. I don't think listeners idea. will be surprised that I dropped a pun. Um, yeah, yeah but no, not at all. They no, shouldn't be. I do get what you mean though, because uh, I'll have people be like, "How can you write network TV and then do micro budget at the same time?" I'm like, "Cause it's fun." Yeah. Like. Yeah, why would I not? And because, you know, the network TV stuff or the big, you know, if I'm lucky enough to keep working in that arena, which I hope to be because... You know, I I would like to be able to pay my bills, you know, of course, well, yeah. and, and you know, take a, a a fun trip, you know, making money off what I love doing. But the down and dirty, the micro budget, you have full creative control and you can do it fast. Yeah. You know, and you can turn it around so quickly. Whereas, you know, again, like. And it kind of scratches that itch, too. Absolutely. You know, and so, you know, after this, (laughs) I'm going to go, you know, with John, we're going to go shopping for the costumes and the props. So we're also going to, you know, it's like some things it's like, oh, I'm this fancy executive producer. And then I'm going to be like the producer who's also the production designer, craft services, you know, costume designer. And I don't care. I love it. Like, it's so fun. You I'm know? pretty sure earlier this week I sent you an email that just said, make it gross. Yeah. <laughs> and we are. We actually have. David Charles, our buddy who did a lot of the special makeup effects yes. on Chastity Bites. He's been texting me and John all this amazing stuff of you know what he's working on for this weekend so i i can promise some fun gore well that's great from cw to shooting in your living room exactly uh, and all of these things in between feature films festivals traveling around the world theater darling uh (laughs) i would like to kind of wrap things up on you know just something fun okay one of the through lines of this conversation has been uh lesbian vampires and why not? But if you were to make a recommendation. My bosoms just heaved, by the way. They did, I which saw. Which they have to in a lesbian vampire setting. I, I didn't even know Lottie was wearing a bodice, but she, it, she surprised it. It almost exploded. Yeah. That's a, all I'm saying. The surprise bodice. <laughs> the Lottie personal story. Um, exactly. Recommend for me a lesbian vampire film or two. Oh, my God. Well, I mentioned some. I think you have to start with Dracula's Daughter from the 40s. Mm-hmm. So amazing. And, you know, such an early depiction of, you know, the, 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 a not so subtly gay character. Now, again, giving some shout out to Vito Russo and the celluloid closet so we can tie it all together. Yes, it was back when, unfortunately, LGBT characters had to be portrayed as villains, monsters, you know, etc. But it's still a pretty hot lesbian vampire film to go back to. So that's one end for sure. Then, you know, jump ahead a couple decades to The Vampire Lovers. That's a must. So good. And then jump ahead another couple decades to The Hunger. And those, oh, those are kind of my holy trinity, I would say. 
So, and uh, then Trump had a couple decades to chastity bites. Go see it. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Absolutely. <laughs> in my queue. Thank you. Well, Lottie, to quote Showgirl's own Nomi Malone, mm. those recommendations don't suck. Thank, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us today. Where can people find you? Um, my Twitter and my Instagram are Lottie Lou Who. So L-O-T-T-I-L-U-W-H-O. I think that's right. Yeah, follow me. I'll follow you. We'll we'll talk about horror. It'll be cool. Yeah. And, you know, Lottie's very good about tweeting about the movies she is currently watching. So you can sometimes participate in a, a Lottie live feed. Oh, God, I haven't done that in a while. But sometimes I yeah, sometimes I still do that. I at least usually post it to Instagram and then tweet it out. But yeah, I actually had someone recently uh, unrelated to to us. I mean, it didn't, doesn't know that, you know, we're, we're friends uh, said I was like, oh, this lady was was tweeting about a talking cat. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I know exactly who that was. <laughs> <laughs> the best movie to tweet about. Just make sure your cat is kept comfortable. That's all I'll say. That's what I got from that. Important movie. words. Yeah. Lottie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Michael. I love you. I love you too. Yay. Aww. This has been Dead for Filth. I'm Michael Verratti. Yours always in glam and gore. Good night and good luck. Dead for Filth is a Reverie Studios original production and can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, as well as the Reverie app for the best in queer-rated entertainment.